of God which he carries, God. And I pray that you give him a, a ease, O oh God, as he shares your word now in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Uh, it's really exciting to see how even just this morning in worship and, and what Debbie has said and what Alan has prayed, you know, that God has really lined us up for an encounter with him. And uh, I don't know if you come to church expecting to encounter God or not, if that's one of your thoughts, um, but it should be. You know, every time we come, we should realize that God is amongst his people and expect that we would encounter him in real and powerful ways. So um, today we're starting a new series called Spirit Breakout. Uh, and what I want to do is look at, at the ways in which, some of the ways in which the Holy Spirit has moved um, through the book of Acts, how when a new pattern of being for the church was being established, that the work of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit was, was all over that. So as the early church grew in numbers and influence, we see that it was marked uh, by a number of things, and we've covered some of those things over the last number of weeks, and Alan did a brilliant recap, so I don't need the recap. You can go and, if you really want, listen to that full recap from last week. Um, but we see this fast-growing movement of people, radical in so many different ways from the society around them, whether it was the traditional Jewish way or whether it was the occupying Roman culture, they stood out as being different. But it was simple, radical, intentional, countercultural discipleship. And as we move on in our series of Acts, we're going to look at how the church was marked by the demonstration that the kingdom of God had come that the spirit breaks out because the reality of heaven has come to earth. So this little phrase, the kingdom of God, we use it a lot. It actually appears in, in the Gospels alone over 80 times and well over 120 times throughout the New Testament. What is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven? I think it's Matthew in particular. He likes to use kingdom of heaven, but it's basically the same thing. What does that mean? What does it look like? Jesus actually, at the start of his ministry, he said, repent, turn around, because the kingdom of, of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. And when he used that phrase, what he meant was, if you could just actually reach out, you could grab it. It's that close. The kingdom of God is within reach. And uh, this idea of the kingdom of God basically means God's reign, that's R-E-I-G-N, not the rain that we get from the sky, that we're very thankful for that too. Sometimes um, God's reign on earth as it is in heaven. I think I've got a definition here, a bit longer one. I don't. thought I did. No, I definitely don't. Okay, I'm going to read it. Okay, this is the kingdom definition. It's the expression kingdom of God refers to God's rule on earth, usually his rule expressed through an agent, his regent or king. In the Christian meta-narrative, and that means big story, it's a fancy word, it refers to God's rule as announced, demonstrated, and exercised by his regent, which is Jesus of Nazareth, who is presently the resurrected sovereign ruler of the world and who will eventually openly rule on this earth, completing God's creational purpose. And so Jesus comes as the agent of heaven and brings with him the rule and reign of heaven on earth. So in the Gospels, wherever Jesus is, he brings the reality of heaven to earth with him. And the thing is that, that we have 
that passed on to us is that we become agents, representatives of heaven on earth. That's what we're called to do. And we must remember that the kingdom is breaking in. The kingdom of Satan is all around us. And we see it in so many ways. But there is an alternative kingdom, that of heaven. Heaven becomes our benchmark, our way of understanding what life should look like. And so when we think about, well, what is it God wants to do on earth? And we we think about a, a situation of brokenness, a mess in the world. What we need to ask ourselves is, if this was heaven, what would that look like? And what can I do to change that situation or that circumstance so that it starts to look a little bit more like heaven? A few years ago, there was a brilliant song that, that said, when, when Jesus walks into the room, everything changes. And that picture, that idea just really caught my mind. If Jesus walked into the room right now, what would change? What would change in this person's life? What would change in this brokenness? What would change in this hopeless situation? What would change where healing is needed? And so when we look at the life of Jesus, this is our example. We see supernatural power. We see physical healings. We see the lame walking, the blind see, the dead are raised, people with leprosy are cured, miracles like the feeding of the 5,000, money from fish's mouth, um, calming a storm, walking on water. All of these things, supernatural, but they're only supernatural on earth. Let's worship people, leave the place a mess. They're only supernatural on earth. They're not supernatural in heaven. They're just normal in heaven. You know, and so I think when Jesus came to, to earth and he did what he considered to be normal, and everybody thought it was amazing, he was kind of like, this is just normal. You know, people get healed, people who get set free. You know, that's what life should look like more and more. And so Jesus taught about the kingdom again and again in the Gospels. But he also said to his disciples, you will receive power when the Spirit comes on me and you will be, on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Jesus taught them about the kingdom. And so we see this um, as well in Acts 1. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So his teaching over these 40 days, when he was setting these guys up, he's going to ascend to be with the Father. But I'm going to tell you about the kingdom because you're going to do the kingdom when I go. And in fact, how you're going to do the kingdom is with the Spirit. So on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then he gathered round, then they gathered round to him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And I think at this point, I don't know if Jesus was exasperated. If you spent 40 days teaching on the kingdom and then they go, are you going to do it now? You know, is Israel going to become like the, this world superpower? And it's like, listen, guys, it's not for you to know the, the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
And so we see that the kingdom, when it comes, comes with power. It comes through the initiation of the Holy Spirit. And we, we kind of know about the, the Holy Spirit, don't we? Um, and in fact, we feel the Holy Spirit very often in the context of worship. Uh, and when the Spirit comes, there is both presence and power. Yet for some reason in the modern church, what we have done is we've managed to disconnect those two things. We've managed to disconnect presence with power. We believe and declare and experience the presence of the Spirit. You know, we even like talk about it. it wasn't, did you really feel the presence of the Spirit this morning in worship? Oh, God was so close and just felt God's love and the Holy Spirit was really moving this morning, wasn't he? Um, and, and that's what, how we talk about presence. Here's a, a little quote. This is the full version. Um, see that? There's my kingdom definition. Anyway, <laughs> slides in the wrong order. We don't seek God's power. We seek his presence. His power and everything else we need is always found in his presence. And this is from John Wimber, who did a lot of teaching on the kingdom of God. And so we need to seek his presence, but what we need to realize is that where his presence is, there his power is also. And maybe this will help you think about it. So there are a number of doctors in the room, okay? I'll just pick on one of them randomly. Okay, let's see. I'm going to go for Hannah. Hi, you're a doctor, aren't you? Okay, so let's say Hannah came over to our house, and I said, Hannah, do you want to come, come over to our house, and we'll hang out, we'll have a meal, kids are playing around, we're having a chat and stuff like that, and, and she brings Juve in, and we just have this nice time. We're friends, and we're chatting, and it's all good fun. And then one of my kids falls and hurts themselves. You know, and I think, oh, if only I had welcomed Hannah into my house as a doctor then she could have done something about it. But I'd welcomed her in as a friend. And yeah, tell you what, Hannah, could you go, leave my house, I'd ring you and invite you back as a doctor, and then you could maybe help to bandage my child's knee. I mean, that's completely ludicrous because Hannah is a person. We can be, have a friendship relationship, but she's also skilled as a doctor. And she brings the fullness of herself when she comes to my house. And so, why do we disconnect the one person of the Holy Spirit and, and kind of go, oh, the Holy Spirit's presence is here. Oh, I wish the Holy Spirit's power was here. And the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, I know. If only I'd known that you were looking power, I would have come in power as well as in presence. It's just ludicrous that we would even think in that way. But we do, in practical terms, we do. We sit there in, in a meeting, worshiping God, thinking the presence of God is lovely and but I'm really sick and, you know, I go home disappointed. Do you know, we don't ask and we don't receive because we don't ask. The Bible even tells us that. Um, but the pattern of the early church shows us and in the life of Jesus shows us. When Jesus turned up at a village, you know what you got? You got the wholeness of him. When Jesus turned up at a village, well, wherever it was, he teaches, he comforts, he heals the sick he does miracles because it is all within himself as a person. And so when he left, he said, I'm going to send you somebody who's going to be like me. He's even going to be better than me because he's going to be in you. And that's a person of the Holy Spirit who comes in his fullness, not just in his presence, but in his power. 
And the disciples knew this. So the disciples were, were sent out by Jesus in the power of the Spirit. And we read in uh, Matthew 6, let's see. Yep. He called the 12 and he said to them, he began to send them out two by two and he gave them authority over impure spirits. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out demons, anointed uh, people with oil. Many who were, were ill were healed. This is the, the pattern of the early church. So Jesus sent out the 12 and he sent out the 72 during his earthly ministry. And he said, look guys, go out and try this stuff. Away you go. Let's pray for the sick. Let's cast out demons. I've shown you how to do that. Now you go and do that. And then when he, he died and he rose again, he said, look, I want to send you out again, but you need the Spirit. The Spirit's going to come and he's going to show you all of these things. We're going to do these things together. And so when the church starts on the day of Pentecost, we should expect that when the Spirit co comes, we see signs and wonders. We see a move of God, and that's what happens. So we see that, and we see the disciples just continued in the way that they had been taught. And signs and wonders are the mark of the church. Um, in Acts 9, for example, there's a great story uh, where Peter uh, raises Tabitha from the dead. And so everybody's mourning and they're crying, and, and, and this person's dead. And they said, Peter, can you pray for them? And Peter goes, oh, what was it Jesus did? Oh, yes. And so if you look at, at Jesus raising a little girl from the dead in the Gospels and Jesus, uh, Peter raising Tabitha from the dead, you'll see exactly the same pattern. Peter went into the room and he went, okay, this woman's dead, right? All the people here are really upset. You get out of the room because that's what Jesus did. And then Jesus said, little girl, get up. So I'm going to say, Tabitha, get up. This woman's raised from the dead because the continuing pattern of the ministry of Jesus happens with the apostles. And they, in copying their rabbi, their teacher, continue to copy everything that they had learned, everything that they had experienced from Jesus. And so as much as their lifestyle was radical in terms of sharing their possessions, feeding the poor, sharing their lives, these were spirit-empowered things. The same spirit brings the normal reality of heaven into their lives and changes things. And we have what's called a new normal. That the atmosphere, the very atmosphere starts to change around them and they operate as if heaven has come to earth. And God's really been speaking to me a lot uh, recently about this and using a word from science fiction. So if you don't like science fiction, I apologize, but I'm going to explain myself. So there is this word in science fiction which is called terraform or terraforming. Okay, you can look it up in the dictionary if you want. But it means to transform. And so very often in science fiction, they think about, well, what if we could go to another planet and transform it? So in that example, that's Mars. What if we could transform Mars to look like Earth? So that when we arrive in Mars, we could breathe the air, there'd be water, there'd be vegetation, that we change the environment so that it's causes life to be sustainable. So and another way what you could do is you could get an alien species that would come to Earth and change our environment into the environment that it needs. Now, that might kill us because um, it requires maybe different nitrogen levels in, in the atmosphere or, or different things like that. Maybe it needs to be really cold or really hot. And we wouldn't like that if an alien species came and did that. But what if God wants to terraform transform the church and God's people and actually earth itself so that our environment turns into the environment of heaven 
that if you like, we start to breathe the air of heaven, where actually the world around us looks a little bit more like heaven, where we're seeing every day things that actually look more like God's kingdom has come on earth as it is in heaven, that in breathing the air of heaven, we expect and anticipate that we will see lives change and transform. We will see people set free from depression and suicidal thoughts, that we'll see people set free from crippling experiences of their past, that we will see the lame walk, that we would even see the dead raised, that we would see miracles happening more and more often than we did before because Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. And what did he call us to do to pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if that is the case, if that is what we've been told to pray, then our expectation should be that life is going to look a little bit more like heaven. Now, that doesn't mean that things aren't going to be hard or difficult. But what it does mean is that we will see more and more of God's kingdom come on earth. So, what I want us to do for the rest of this time is to think about a more specific story, and it centers around Peter. And I think one of the last times I talked, uh, I talked about Peter. Sometimes I give Peter a hard time, but I suppose that's just because I feel like he's a little bit like me. He gets a lot of stuff wrong, and it takes him a while to catch on to what God's doing, but he eventually gets her. Um, but what we need to see in the life of Peter, particularly as, as we were looking in Acts, is that here is somebody who has experienced metamorphosis, that he experienced transformation, that Peter goes from this subsistence fisherman. So really all that Peter did before Jesus came along was that he went and he caught fish, and that was his living. And his environment centered around the one lake that they all went fishing in. That was his thing. He had one boat, and his friends had a boat too, and uh, that's how they, they lived. But Jesus comes along and he takes this guy who denied him. He was a coward. He was a serial misser of points. If there's anybody that missed the point more than Peter, it's quite hard to find him in the Gospels. He goes from that person to being a wise miracle worker and leader of a movement which changed the world because he learned to cooperate with the spirit of the living God. His training was literally on the road. His baptism was one of fire. His refining was brought about by pain and suffering. He didn't go to Bible school. He didn't intern at a megachurch. He didn't have a New Testament or a set of theology books or a phone that he could just quickly check up Bible references or Google stuff. There are no Christian conferences, no podcasts, nothing like that. It's just him and a few mates and the Holy Spirit. And there's the secret ingredient, the Holy Spirit. Because of the Spirit, everything is possible. These guys who are just obscure, random people. God loves obscure, random people. There's a whole room full of them here. You know? And God, God takes us and with his Spirit, he brings about change and transformation. So the great challenge of our lives is this simple a radical pattern of a life lived with the Spirit. And we see this painted through the gospel. So what I would love for you to do is we're going to look at a story in, um, in Acts chapter 3. 
But um, one of the passages that we've been looking at again and again in Acts chapter 2, we read that um, everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And that's a very interesting phrase, many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Because number one, it tells us there were so many that it was just like, oh yeah, many. Um, But also that these miraculous signs were not just for in in and of themselves, but they pointed towards something. They demonstrated something. They demonstrated that God was with the disciples, that God was with his people, that we have miraculous signs and wonders. We give thanks. We give thanks for healing. We think it's fantastic. But it also points to a greater reality is the fact that God is with us. And uh, one commentator describes or translates this as the finger marks of God were on them. The fingerprints of God. When we have miraculous signs and wonders, we can declare the fingerprints of God are on this thing, this thing called the church. So what we're going to do is look in Acts chapter 3, a good old Peter. He isn't always crying, but gives me hope, that picture. Um, So one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. It's a fantastic story. But I'm sure there were many stories like that. Luke includes this one because just after this, this guy goes into the temple courts and all craziness breaks loose as this really winds up the religious authorities of the day. And uh, there's a a whole section there just after that about the conflict and and about Peter and John standing before the religious authorities and giving uh, testimony to, to God. But what I want us to do is just in focusing on this is to to think about what it really means. So Peter and John are going about their everyday lives. They go through that gate beautiful most days. They go up to the temple. They teach. They do their thing. But this one day, this guy who's always there is seen by Peter and John. Something happens in a moment. This guy, and, and they hear him, you know, he's, he's asking, he's calling out for arms or whatever it happens to be that he's looking for. And he's been lame from birth. And so he's probably been there for years and years and years. And one of the first things that strikes me about this is how many times did Jesus walk past that man and not heal him? How many times? 
Did Jesus walk past and the Holy Spirit went, nope, I'm not doing that. Because Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. He was led by the Spirit at all times. And, you know, whether Jesus knew or not at that particular time, I'm leaving that one for Peter. Um, we, we'll never really know. But Peter and John walked past him all of the time too. But in a moment, the Holy Spirit says, you know what? This is this guy's day. Do you hear him? And actually, when you think about, about Peter and John, they had learned that in the middle of the crowd, that sometimes God wants to highlight one person. Sometimes the Spirit wants to move powerfully. And so we see that. We see that in terms of blind Bartimaeus crying out, and Jesus in the middle of the crowd goes, who's that? Who's shouting? It's that guy. The woman with the issue of blood touched the hem of Jesus' garment. In the middle of the crowd, he went, who touched me? When he was walking on his way to Jerusalem to die on the cross, and he walked through a town called Jericho, and there was a man up on a tree, his name was Zacchaeus. In the middle of all that crowd, Jesus went, I'm going to your house for tea. We should expect that when the Spirit is with us, that there will be times when in the middle of a crowd, in the middle of busyness, that God points at one person. The Spirit speaks to us about one person and that's the one that we need to respond to in that moment. And in that moment, Peter and John do something. They say to this man, look at us. And it's so important that we get this. That this is not just about the Spirit's power, but this is about the Spirit's compassion. That this person who has become dehumanized. He's just like, that's just that guy. He's been lame from birth. He sits at the gate. He asks for money. Everybody goes past him every day and ignores him. He's not even looking up. He's just going over there, somebody, give me some money, give me some money. And Peter and John stop and they say, look at us. Just think how many people's lives would be changed and transformed if somebody looked them in the eye, that we took them from a place of being dehumanized of being seen as an object or a thing, to being seen again as a person, say, let's, let's look at each other and let's talk. And knowing that God has an answer for them, knowing that breakthrough can come because the Spirit has highlighted them. And so Peter sees with spiritual eyes, and the man has an expressed need. He wants money. Here's his, here's his solution. I need money. I need money for my next loaf of bread, for my next meal, to get through one day. I need this. And so often we're looking for that kind of answer from God. We're looking for the, the next thing that we need that's going to get us to tomorrow or the next day or the next day. And could it be possible that for us and for people out there in the world that God's answer is much more than what you think you need right now? that if we were listening to the Spirit, we might hear a different answer. That instead of Peter and John going, you know, here's a couple of coins and that, you know, relieves my conscience and gets you through the next day, that, that maybe there's a supernatural breakthrough, a transformation that would change their, that man's life. Not only changes that man's life, but changes a whole city, actually. It just causes uproar everywhere but that is the heart of Jesus that with compassion that we would look at people that we would see them face to face and that they would encounter the presence of the living God and so we see that that's what happens and they help the guy up and he walks and he leaps and he runs around but he'd been lame since birth did you ever think about that 
His legs don't work. His hamstrings are shortened. His muscles are wasted away. This isn't just a kind of like strength filled his legs. This is a creative miracle that muscles, tendons, bones possibly actually changed and transformed because this guy wasn't just hobbling along on his way home. He was walking and leaping and praising God. This is a powerful miracle. But the miracle is a fingerprint of God. It is a witness to the goodness of God. It is a witness that Jesus is who he says he is. And it's a breakthrough that galvanizes the disciples to think that heaven can come to earth. That everything changes when Jesus comes into the room. And that's what we're, we need to think. And that's how we need to think. We shouldn't limit our thinking to there's a kingdom when somebody is healed. We need to see that it affects all aspects of life. But healing is one of those things that we really need. I really need. You really need to press into. You see, we kind of relegate it almost to we believe in healing in, in, in theory. Like, well... You know, some people get healed, or like one in a hundred, or one in a thousand. You know, two thousand years ago, there was no medicine, there was no other option. People were sick, people were dying. If you get ill, it was just like, oh well, you know, that's going to take X amount of time. That'll be the end of it. I give thanks for doctors, and I give thanks for our health service. I give thanks for the healing that comes through medicine because the only reason we have that is because we were created by God with a mind that was able to figure these things out. That creative wonder is incredible, and we give thanks and glory to God. But could it be that we've just become normalized to sickness to the point where we will not even press through for healing? That our modern thinking robs us sometimes of, of faith for healing. It needs to be normal that we would push into and press into healing signs and wonders. That these would be essential markers, not optional extras. I've been healed from ME. I've actually been healed from ME twice. Um, once when I was 13, once when I was 17. And, and so I, I believe in healing. I like to pray for healing. And what if somebody said to me, do you know what, roughly one in 50 people get healed. So I'd start praying for people, one, two, tw 10, 20, get up to 42, and I would go, ah, oh, well, nobody got healed. But if one in 50 people get healed, would you pray from 42 to 50? You know, eight more. Would you keep on going? Yes, you would. You would, because you know that one in 50 people get healed. Now, it's just a bit of fun. But if some people get healed, then why would we not pray? And if we pray loads and more people get healed, why would we not pray some more? And uh, so healing's a funny thing. When you pray for somebody who's got a really sore head and their head gets better, they're not walking and leaping and praising God and running around the street saying, God healed me of a, of a sore head, but maybe they should be. Maybe we should be giving thanks to God because if somebody got healed in an instant from a sore head, is it a miracle or is it not a miracle? Yes, it's a miracle. And faith builds faith. 
And, and thanksgiving glorifies God. And so I've prayed for people as well. Uh, and so they've maybe, they've maybe and uh, Mark Marks, who teaches healing on the streets, kind of gives this example. Like, say you're praying for somebody and they have a, have a, a sore arm and they can't really move their arm. So you pray for them and you go, well, is there any difference? And like, can't really, I can't move my arm past here. And then they're able to move their arm past here and they go, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not healed. Well, if you don't even move it to there and now you can move it to there, then there's a measure of healing has taken place. Should we not give thanks to God for that? If our pain level was a 10 when we started to pray and now it's a 6, should we not give thanks? Should we not believe actually that if I can move my hand from here to here, that maybe here and maybe that full movement might return? Should I not keep on praying and pressing in and giving thanks? So that's one of the main ways that we need to actually tackle this subject is to press in, press in, press in. I got healed for the first time of ME instantaneously. I went from being off school, unable to move really very much. It took me like half an hour just to get to the bathroom and back because I had to take rests getting down the stairs because we live in a converted bungalow, in case you're wondering why I'm going downstairs. Um, get to the bottom of the stairs, sit, rest, get to the toilet, sit, rest, get back to the bottom of the stairs, get up the stairs. You know, it took me like literally half an hour because I was so weak. And God hate me instantaneously. And so when I got sick a number of years later, I thought, brilliant, God can heal me. It should be instant. And I went up for prayer and I didn't get healed. So I went up for prayer the next week in church and I didn't get healed. And the next week and I didn't get healed. So after about three or four weeks, I thought, well, I'm just going to keep on going. Because I know that God is a healer. I know that God healed me in the past. It isn't working out the way I thought it would. Because it didn't happen the way it happened last time. But God hasn't changed. So I just kept going up week after week after week for prayer for healing. And after a few weeks, people in the prayer ministry team started to ignore me. They started to avoid me. And being the lovely teenager that I was at the time, I would just stare them out. I would give them the nod. I know, I've seen you. You know I need prayer. You and me. Until somebody would pray with me. Because I wasn't giving up, even if they had. Even if they were like, oh, here's your man again. It's sad, actually, <laughs> that people would do that. And it took eight weeks this time. But eventually, I got healed. And that's amazing. There's a woman in my cycle club who came to this country. And, and some of you have heard her testimony. Because she was given two years to live. She had inoperable bowel cancer. She came to this country to be with her son so she could spend the, next, the, the last two years of her life with her son. And last year, she was given the all clear without any chemo, without any treatment. All the tumors in her small bowel are gone. She spent a year cancer-free. Last year, she cycled 11,000 miles on her bike and she's in her mid-60s. And that's a miracle. And it's no less of a miracle when we hear things that, where people haven't been healed. It doesn't change the fact that that was a miracle. But we are very often dictated to by when th people don't get healed. And we don't know the reasons why people don't get healed, but we know that some people do. 
We know that some people do sometimes. And we know that the more that we pursue these things, the more we see healing, the more we see people changed and transformed. So what needs to change in us so that we could see that more often? What is your theology of healing? Do you believe that God heals? Do you believe that he is a healer? Do you believe that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever? Do you believe that, has he changed, or, or is he the same? Because if he's the same God in the Bible, he's the same God throughout history, he's the same God now, he's the same God that healed me. Has he changed? Are we going to resign and push away healing for the very odd occasion or way back in history? Just because our experience tells us so? Or do we believe in the word of God? Do we believe in the word of testimony? And so, we, but what we need to do is we need to bring our theology and our thinking in line with God and who he is. We need to just not just th- believe it in theory, but to believe it in practice. At times that means that we will have to come to terms with disappointment. That we will have to come to terms with pain and grief. That things will not always work out the the way that we thought they would. But that happens in lots of different things in life. That's life. Things don't always work out the way we thought they would. Life doesn't. There are times when we think, God, I thought I was going to do this with my life and this and go here and do that and it didn't work out and we deal with the disappointment and we move on. But we don't necessarily move on when it comes to the disappointment of healing. But I think that there's grace, there's love and there's mercy for us when it comes to this subject. What is your practice? Practice makes perfect, or at least it makes you a little bit better, doesn't it? But what is our practice? If we believe in healing in theory, but we don't pray for the sick, we don't believe in healing. If you don't pray for the sick, then you're never going to see anybody healed. You're only ever going to live off other people's experiences or stories that you read in a book. And that's not good enough. We need to press in. I mean, to pray for the sick. And I remember years ago being really challenged by this because we, we had a healing meeting and a woman arrived with a child, actually probably, he was probably even an adult, severely disabled and in a wheelchair. And I thought, oh my goodness, I don't know if I have faith for this person. So I went and prayed for them because I knew that I needed to be in that place of, oh God, oh God, if you don't turn up, and so we prayed for this woman. And I actually got a word of knowledge for her. And it brought her peace and comfort. And God broke in in that situation. Now that um, man did not get out of the wheelchair. But the Holy Spirit came. The presence of God came. And, and her life was affected and changed. Because people were willing to pray. And so we need to celebrate healing. We need to celebrate partial healing. We need to celebrate when God moves. We need to actually realize that the the faith builds faith sometimes we have lots of faith for healing sometimes we don't have a very much we should never get into a prosperity gospel way of thinking like hey you don't have enough faith it's your fault because Lazarus how much faith did he have for his own resurrection none because he was dead okay and yet he was healed did he have faith no he didn't Faith does play a part. There's no question of that. 
but it, it's about a journey of, of a, the person of the Holy Spirit working alongside and with us as we press into seeing the miraculous happen. We need to close the gap between our theology and our practice. How are we closing the gap? Let's press into healing. Let's make it our thing. You know, particularly, I think, actually, if you want to see healing more, you'll see it more outside of the church. You'll see it more in your workplace. You'll see it more in those awkward situations where somebody comes into work and they've got, I've got a migraine. And you're thinking, oh, no, I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to do something about this. And you go, I'll be praying for you. Tick. Um, but what if we actually, instead of said, I'll be praying for you, be like, can I pray for you now? And the person's like, um, yeah. You're like, out loud, yeah, you know, and, and so, so what's the worst thing that can happen? There are two worst things. Number one is to say no. Um, number two is that you pray for them and nothing happens. And probably number three, actually, to be fair, is they think you're a weirdo, okay? I don't have a problem with any of those, really. And we need to get to a point where, where we don't, we don't, really worry about that because what you said to that person is I see you I hear you I, I, my heart is for you I want to see something change and okay I pray and maybe maybe something does happen maybe something doesn't but that person is seen and known and loved in that moment and so that's kind of that's kind of worst case scenario that I quite like is that maybe I look a bit stupid but maybe that person knows that God loves them and he sees them and he knows them so it would be great if we could just um, stand. And it was great that what Debbie did earlier anyway, getting people to, to actually put their hands on themselves for healing. But I would love to do that again. I just hope that, that faith is kind of rising in the room, that we would actually pray. So I'd love for you, if you need healing for any reason in your life, to put your hand on yourself. Okay. Doesn't matter where. Okay, but if or if you if you don't, uh, but there's somebody else that you love that you put your hand on yourself again. We're going to pray that God would heal. And I know that this is really hard sometimes because sometimes we do experience disappointment. But even in our disappointments, even in our questions, our frustrations, we bring them towards Jesus and we go, God, I know you're my healer. I believe that you're my healer. And it doesn't change my relationship with you. The only thing I need now is for you to come and, 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 and work in my heart. And let's pray for healing. Come, Holy Spirit. God, we ask that you would come right now. Say, Holy Spirit, move. God, bring healing to our sicknesses in the name of Jesus. We speak to cancer and we say, go in Jesus' name. We command you to leave. We speak to tumors right now in the name of Jesus. We say, shrivel up and die. Go. We speak to mental health issues and conditions. We speak to the uh, 
the brain fog and the confusion, we say, leave in the name of Jesus. We speak to stomach conditions, chronic stomach conditions, stomach conditions that have continued for years and years and almost become normal. We speak to them and we say, go in the name of Jesus. We speak to those stomachs and we say, restore to health. And we speak to backs and joints uh, and pain in, in the body. Again, some of those things that have just become accepted or worked around or normal. And we say that they are not normal in the kingdom of heaven. And so we ask for heaven to come to earth. We ask for healing to come right now. In Jesus' name. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's just wait on the Lord a minute. Come, Holy Spirit. Maybe you're feeling the presence of God right now. So let's think about that disconnect where the presence of God is there. His power is also. God, will you come, Holy Spirit, come not just in your presence, but in your power, in your fullness, God. anybody feel there's any change or feel God is moving? Do you need to test anything out? If you feel like there's any change at all, if you just maybe want to raise your hand. feel like there's any change that you feel like God's bringing any measure of healing, raise your hand. Okay, that's good. We give thanks. I see at least one hand. I see two or three, actually. So, thank you, God. But you know, if there's a measure of healing, if God's presence is here and his power is here to heal, then maybe we should just not just stop, but maybe we should pray again. So let's pray in faith again. Thank you, God. We thank you, God, that you're doing something, that your presence and your power are here right now for healing. So we ask again, God, we stretch our faith another little bit and we invite you in again and we say, come, Holy Spirit, come and heal and set people free. Move in power. Let your healing come. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love and your mercy, God. We thank you for your patience. Maybe even be God like that man who said, I believe, help my unbelief. 
maybe be even as the ten lepers that they had to actually set off on a journey that they had to go because as they went, they were healed. Come, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Anybody else feel like God is moving and healing and experience any difference? Good. <laughs> Brilliant, Brian. Thank you. Thank you. That's so good. That's so good. Thank God. And so two or three people put their hands up. Thank you for Brian's testimony. Anybody else feel anything? Anybody else? If only we could get past awkwardness, we'd maybe see more of the kingdom come, wouldn't we? <laughs> Anybody else? So our time is up. I don't want to get in too much trouble with the kids' ministry, but what I would love for us to do is to, you know, that kind of awkward, is God going to move? What if that became normal for us? It wasn't awkward anymore. What if it became normal that we would pray for the sick more often? What if it became normal that we would, our friends would pastor us? Will you pray for me? Will you pray for me? Will you pray for me? Because I'm not willing to stay where I am. I want to see breakthrough come. Let's continue to push through on this. We're finished. I just want to say two things. I um, felt this morning when I was reading in the, in the Bible <laughs> that um, when Jesus came to speak to the woman at the well, the, the disciples came to him and said, you know, have you not eaten? And Jesus said, I have food that you do not know. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me there was a particular focus on Jesus at that moment for something more than just normal, like not like normal worldly things. It's like something beyond just needing to get your three square meals a day and do your job here that we need to focus on. And I just feel like over the next week or two, Holy Spirit wants us to focus on this. And uh, he wants us to focus in such a way that we challenge our own selves. I think the distinction like between the presence and power thing has been really, really important this morning. And that I think we maybe even need to even inwardly sometimes even repent in a gentle way of God. I love it. How, I love how you make me feel. <laughs> But actually now I want to see want to see your power. Yeah. And it's just something about acknowledging Jesus as healer in our hearts that I think is really, really important. And I'd love us to focus the more of us that pray for people this week, right? The more chance we have of seeing people set free and healed. The more of us that pray, the more times we pray, the more chances we have of seeing people healed. So God, we just received that word this morning that Chris has brought us to our hearts. We acknowledge you as healer. God, just we acknowledge you as healer in this church. We acknowledge you as the Lord who can set people free, who can bring the wholeness and healing of the kingdom. And Lord, we pray that as we stay on this over the next couple of weeks, that you would bring a holy focus, God, beyond just we see with what we see with the natural eye, a holy focus to do the works of God in our town, in our environments, in this city, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great week. We're going to be continuing this this week. Let's have some stories next week. That'll be great. Go and get your kids, if you wouldn't mind, just to relieve the kids, workers, and then come, um, come back and get some tea and coffee. That's great.